want to welcome everyone here this morning. If you would, go ahead and make your way to uh, your seat of choice or the seat you've been sitting in for the last 30 years, and uh, we will get started this morning. If this is your first Sunday or your 300th Sunday, we are glad you are here with us at West Irwin. We hope you are encouraged, uh, lifted up, and challenged uh, in your walk with Christ. We do have a couple of uh, additional announcements this morning, more than maybe normal, but uh, wanted to make it as a we we try to live by the idea that this church functions in the ways that a, that a body does and that a family does, and sometimes that it's necessary to to have uh, good conversations and hard conversations, and sometimes conversations that are just miscommunication. And we had one of those uh, today. The bulletin states that Young at Heart uh, is Thursday at six o'clock. That is, or, and it, sorry, the bulletin, see, I'm already messing up. I've, I got, okay, it, said, it is at 5 o'clock. I don't care what the bulletin says. I don't care what was announced in class this morning. Young at heart, it says 5. It's correct. That's what it was. 5 o'clock. The only, please show up. You show up at 5, and if it starts at 6, you're early, but I know it starts at 5. There's a sign-up sheet in the back of the foyer, and the only reason that they are asking you to sign up is to get a headcount for food. Uh, so Thursday night, 5 o'clock, our, our Young at Heart group meets together. Today begins our Leadership Training for Christ, or LTC practices. Um, Tucker has sent out schedules, and so uh, everybody knows if they're participating in that, uh, kind of what the, what the schedule is. Uh, but we just, the only reason I share that with you is because that doesn't, it's at six, Myron? Is it at six or five? Six. Okay, we're going to go with six. If you are coming to Young at Heart, come find Myron Granberry after church. It's right back here. Um, boy, lots of, this is a confusing, I even wrote it down twice. LTC starts today. <laughs> We just want to ask you to pray for those kids. Pray for their coaches uh, as they begin this time. Not, not for becoming greater at puppets or at their dramas, but that God would draw our, 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 our kids here closer together, that they would be encouraged in their walks with Christ. And we're, we're grateful for that extended period of time that they're going to be spending together for the next several weeks preparing for that conference. In one month, you'll see this in the bulletin. You've been seeing slides about it. And in the bulletin for the last several months is our acapella concert. Uh, here at West Irwin on Friday night, March the 3rd. There are still some tickets available for it, but uh, as we've been made aware, we are going to sell out, which means on that Friday night, if you can imagine it, there will be 850 people in this room. Uh, that is how many tickets there are. That is as close to fire code as we can get without getting in trouble. And so uh, if you want to make, if you have not yet uh, made that purchase, go ahead and do it. It will definitely be an encouraging night. Speaking of encouraging, Bill and Barbara White are the proud great-grandparents of Mally J. Fair, born on Saturday, to Hunter and Taya Fair, uh, and Abby Fair is the proud aunt there as well. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we have our what was called our auditorium class, but if you have participated with it, it is now the reflections class uh, at 5 p.m. over in uh, the office building, as well as singing class uh, right next door to that. Wanted to pass along thanks from Robert Lee just for all the prayers that have, have been offered on his behalf and that we continue to pray for him as uh, he continues to have a few more procedures down the road. And then we also want to ask you to join with us in prayer for one more 
family and, and person in particular. Uh, Don and uh, Danny Dobbs are out of town at the moment, but their son-in-law, Clay Snyder, had what they assumed to be a mild stroke last night. So he is here at Mother Francis, and uh, they will know more uh, after they run MRIs, but they have asked us to be in prayer for him. And so we want to honor that request and join with them in that prayer along with all of the other uh, requests that have been brought to our church. And so I want to ask you to stand as we begin our time of worship this morning and join with me in prayer together. Heavenly Father God, Lord, we are thankful for a change in weather this week, for a beautiful morning as we gather together as a church family, for an opportunity to to be encouraged by our relationships that exist here and to make new ones. God, we are thankful for all the things that you foresaw when you instituted the church that you knew we would need, that you knew would weigh on our hearts as, as human beings. And God, as we have spent time exploring difficult subjects and things that are happening in the world around us, we know how much more so we need the church, how important it is to have people to rely on and to walk through life with as we walk through a world that no longer really resembles what it once did. We are thankful for the way you remind us constantly of your presence, and God, we ask for your presence to be felt in so many ways for the Dobbs family and for their son, son-in-law, Clay. We pray for that family and for good results from the tests and for recovery from that. God, we have so many things that we, so many people that we rejoice alongside and those who are still struggling oftentimes in silence. So, God, for those who have not shared their hearts, uh, we pray for them as well. God, help us use the Holy Spirit to, to lift our hearts, to lift our spirits, and help us as believers to do that for those around us, for the people that we have relationships with. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to worship together this morning, and it's in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen. How I love the great Redeemer, who is doing so much for me.
will be reading from 1 Chronicles 29 and 11 and then from Philippians 4 verse 6. The power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let us go to our Father in prayer. Lord, we come humbly before your throne, acknowledging you as a creator of all things. You spoke the world into existence. Your mighty works of your fingers are displayed by the moon and the stars. We stand in awe that you made us a little lower than angels and crown us with glory and honor. Father, we know we are all sinful by our actions and words and thoughts. For this, we are truly sorry as we struggle in this spiritual battle within us. I pray each of us will put on your armor to stand against the enemy, the devil. May we stand strong with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, taking up the shield of faith, helmet salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is your word, the Bible, and having our feet firmly footed in the gospel of peace. Father, we are thankful for our many spiritual blessings and our material blessings. We are especially thankful that from the beginning of time that you set in motion a plan of salvation to send your only son, Jesus, to die for each one of us, giving us the hope of eternal life. Father, we know you are a patient God, not wanting anyone to perish. May we continue to study your scripture and to correctly handle the word of truth, having a ready answer to everyone for the hope that we have. Father, we are thankful that we are here in your presence, joined together in one body, one spirit, and one hope, and with the hope that provides us assurance of the resurrected life. Father, we are human, and at times our needs and burdens may seem to be too great for our shoulders to bear. We know in John 14, 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Whatever it is, may each of us know that you're fully able to provide what we need. Father, we verbally bring these names before you for healing and comfort. Bill and Joyce Allen's daughter, Amy Tyndall. Susan Wimmock's father, Tommy Lawrence. Robert Lee. Norma Sorrell's sister, Phyllis Davis. And Danny and Don Dobbs' son-in-law, Clay Snyder. 
Father, we pray for successful upcoming surgeries for Odie and Dolores Kenny, daughter Renee, Karen Glass, Camille Mink, and for my grandson, Eli Hodges, heart surgery. Be with their medical staff and that their surgeries are very successful and all will recover quickly. We pray for all those who are dealing with repairs to their properties from the recent extreme weather events. We pray that these repairs be taken care of quickly. We pray for the men and women who are making these repairs and to those who are restoring our electric services. And also we pray for Eric Thornton's house that the repairs will go well in a timely manner. Father, we also ask you to bless the world nations with wise leaders. And these wise leaders will have discerning hearts that think in the ways of Jesus Christ and to reconcile and keep peace in the world. And Father, we also pray for a hedge of protection upon us as evil is all around us. Help us be the salt and the light of the earth. Father, we ask you to bless Bill Allen in presenting your word this morning in a way that will touch our hearts so that we will be forgiving, compassionate, and faithful like Jesus. Father, may our worship today be in spirit and truth as we glorify you in united voices, hearts, and minds. And these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Help us prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper this morning. We'll sing freely, freely. God forgive my time to time these days you hear the word legacy associated with certain things it can be might be a, a legacy of a corporation or the legacy of an individual the Webster's dictionary defines legacy as the long-lasting impact of a particular event or of a person's life I got to thinking about the legacy that Jesus left for us. Jesus spent his entire life teaching us how we should live, and he taught us that God is love. And to be part of God, we are to love each other. Reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and following, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. As I said, Jesus spent his life teaching us how to live, and the last part of his legacy, he established this communion that we're about to partake right now. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, you made such an awesome sacrifice, sending your son to die for our sins. We pray that as we partake of this bread, that it will remind us of that sacrifice and of the heavenly hope that we have for a life with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, power is.
is given in Jesus' name. Shall we continue in prayer? Father God, your son so freely gave his life so that his blood might wash away our sins. We pray, Father, that as we partake, we think about that sacrifice that he made for us, for all of us. And once and for all, we are all forgiven of our sins. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Father, we now have an opportunity to return some of the material goods that you bless us with. You bless us so well, and for that we are indeed grateful. We pray, Father, that uh, as we participate in this, we will do so with a humble heart and a loving, giving manner. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
Okay, at this time, if you're part of the children's uh, worship blast program, you may pass to that area and also you'll pass your attendance cards to an aisle that's closest to you. We've got some young men coming down each aisle to collect these cards for us this morning. Before Bill's lesson to us this morning, let's all stand and sing 134, The Lord's My Shepherd. The Lord's My Congratulating uh, Riley Hill. I believe Riley was baptized in the last uh, several days, and so we'll try to say more about that, maybe have a picture or two that we can splash abroad. But we're very proud of uh, George and Crystal, big sister Jordan, and, and especially of Riley and his decision to come uh, to the Lord. We're sexually liberated, but desperately broken. 
I think there were some who thought that with uh, sexual liberation uh, would come fulfillment and fullness, and instead it has uh, brought brokenness. This will be a frank discussion on the Bible teaching of sexual morality and immorality. And in many ways, this lesson forms the foundation for next week's lesson on sexual orientation and homosexuality, and the following lesson two weeks from today on the gender confusion versus God's wonderful design. So as we begin, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Father, we praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, just as the psalmist said. We recognize today, Father, that you created us as sexual beings, as male and female, and that you instituted marriage and brought us a covenant relationship, an intimate relationship that is much more than just the physical intimacy that the sexual relationship brings, but that is a spiritual and an emotional um, intimacy as well. And so, Father, we pray for uh, us today as we consider your word in this matter and as we seek to live it and share it in our daily lives. Father, today I pray that your word will be spoken and that your people will be helped and that your name will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're sexually liberated, but desperately broken. That is a quote from the book by Sarah Barrett, Stand Up, Stand Strong, that we have been using in our, some of our Bible classes, starting with our youth and our young adults, uh, a couple of our other adult classes, and um, also during this sermon series. Here's some more from this chapter on sexual purity. Our culture is sexually broken. Evidence of this brokenness is everywhere. Sex is something you can find by hooking up on an app or browsing the internet. Porn addictions are rampant. Heartbreaking stories of sexual abuse are common. We're living in a hypersexualized, sex-obsessed world. The magazine Teen Vogue outlines a few of the most important factors to determine if you're ready for sex as knowing what makes you feel good, not feeling pressured, and choosing to have sex because you want to. In a nutshell, it's the age of sexual autonomy. These worldviews are sneaking into the church as well. According to a 2020 study by Pew Research, half of Christians say casual sex, defined as sex between adults, not in a committed relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. Half of Christians say that. In addition, cohabitation is becoming more common and accepted in Christian circles as nearly half of evangelicals ages 15 to 22 say it's probable they'll cohabit in the future, living together and being sexually active with each other outside of being married. Post-truth thinking places the emphasis on our emotions and our desires and what is culturally common and acceptable and not on an objective 
moral standard. We're sexually liberated, but desperately broken. So a few things about purity in heart and life. First of all, about sexual immorality. And so we look to Scripture for God's commands. This first point speaks of sexual immorality and takes us to the Bible to review God's commands. One of those Scriptures is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, which as we were speaking in our Bible class this morning, I mentioned is a, is a great summary statement of what God thinks about uh, sexual morality and sexual relations. Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Every part of that verse is significant, and it speaks of God's great view and high view and vision of not just marriage, but the sexual relationship and how he will deal ultimately with those who do not respect that relationship and the sanctity of that marriage. Marriage should be honored by all, and to make a statement like that, marriage is first of all honorable. It was God's idea, but then he goes even further and is more specific, and the marriage bed kept pure. And that term, marriage bed, specifically is speaking of the sexual act or sexual relations. And it says that they are to be kept pure, which means they are pure when done within God's will and word. And that is in the covenant relationship of marriage. That is in the sanctity between a husband and wife. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Let it be clearly understood. It is not okay with God when we reject his plan. Whatever our culture says, however our culture acts... Whatever the media portrays at every level, it is not okay. God calls it sin. And he promises that one day he will deal with those sinners if they do not seek his will and his forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is another passage where we read about how important sexual morality is to God and how sinful sexual immorality is. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And we'll come back to verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Note verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We'll start at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And the passage continues to speak of the sanctity of marriage just like it does in Matthew 19. Where it bases it on the scripture teaching of creation. Other passages that are on your handout, and many of them are there, and I will not be referring to all, uh, turning to all of them, of course. But one of them is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Eric shared that verse with us in one of our staff devotionals recently. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We think of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, and he said it's, it's not just the act, it's, it's the lust in your heart and in your mind. And then this passage in Job chapter 31, verse 1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. I love the way that is put. I made a covenant with my eyes, that all obey what centuries later Jesus said in Matthew 5. I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully at someone who was not my husband, not my wife. Pornography usage leads to dissatisfaction and a demanding addiction for something more. Something more exciting. Something more titillating. Porn can also lead to sexual abuse and toxic perspectives of body image. 
as it objectifies individuals and distorts a healthy view of sexuality. It is not a victimless crime. It is not a victimless sin. Masturbation, too, goes against every aspect of God's design for sex and is often connected with pornography. God created sex to be relational, intimate, and selfless. But masturbation turns the focus inward and is isolated, superficial, and self-centered. Exactly the opposite of God's vision for us as sexual bodies. It's fueled by lust and fantasizing, which again, Jesus places even over our sexual fantasies and imaginations on the same level as the acts themselves. And again, it is often connected with pornography. I made a covenant with my eyes not to do that. I take captive every thought. I remind myself of Jesus' words to just look at another person with lust in your heart is as sinful as the actual act. I remember a friend of mine um, in the Metroplex, he shared with me that he was an active member of the church, husband, father, wonderful man, but he said, I struggle with pornography, Bill, and it's at every turn. And right when I feel like I'm doing better, I'm I'm getting control, things are going well, I have to drive to work or drive home from work. And every billboard along I-30 in the DFW Metroplex is pornographic to some extent or another. We take captive every thought I made a covenant with my eyes. Sexual activity and fulfillment are to be enjoyed in a marriage between a husband who is male and a wife who is female. We'll speak more about that next Sunday. What God intended for intimacy and relationship within the covenant of marriage has been devalued by Satan into something that is sexual and selfish and lustful. What God intended to be experienced in the committed and selfless relationship between husband and wife has been lowered by the evil one and the culture that follows him to something that is simply for viewing, to be used solely for personal, lustful pleasure. That was not God's plan. That is not God's vision. Ultimately, Satan takes this disregard for God's will and teaching and vision for sex to the extremes of rape, sexual assault, Pedophilia, which is defined as sexually arousing fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors involving sexual activity with children, and other forms of sexual abuse. If you've been a victim of sexual abuse, and some hearing this message have here in this room and online, If you've been a victim of sexual abuse, let me say first of all that I am so very, very sorry that you experienced that. It is not God's will. It is not God's plan. And no matter what else is true, it is not your fault. Let me say that again. No matter what else is true about the circumstances, no matter what else is true... If you are the victim of sexual abuse, it is not your fault. 
It in no way reflects who you are as a child of God created in His very image. Your self-worth comes from being created in the image of God and being so valued by God that He gave His Son on the cross for you. Your identity and self-esteem do not come from how others have treated you or abused you, but from the love and value that your Creator and Savior place on you. I pray that you have received help from a competent and genuine Christian counselor and that you have people in your life who have helped you and continue to help you. And if you are experiencing this still or struggling with this, please reach out to us or someone to report it and to get the loving, understanding help that you need. A couple of options of counseling centers are listed on our bulletin sermon handout. Any form of domestic violence, any form of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse absolutely will not be justified or tolerated by this church family. It is wrong, it is sinful, and we will not abide by it. Truly, when it comes to sexual behavior, our culture is desperately broken. Sarah Barrett writes, there's so much more to sex than what the world tells us. Culture's narrative on sexuality misses the mark by a mile when it comes to understanding a truly fulfilling view of sexuality. This mindset fails to provide what our hearts genuinely crave and to validate the full measure of our God-given sexuality. It's a dead-end road of heartbreak. The chemical bonding that takes place during sex knits individuals together only for them to be torn apart because there's no intentional lifelong commitment. Heartbreak, depression, insecurity, and countless other painful circumstances accompany the current perspective of sex. And then she asks these questions. What if this view of sexuality is not liberating but damaging? What if God's plan leads to greater intimacy, not less? What if God designed our sexuality with a purpose and a plan? What if following His design for sexuality results in a more lasting, joy-filled experience of sex and relationships? And my response is, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) And that leads us to point B, sexual morality, God's vision. And I think in some ways we need to preach this just as much or even more as what we just covered. Sex is from God. Hebrews 13.4 assures us marriage is honorable and the sexual relationship between husband and wife is pure and is to be kept that way. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul writes to a church just like ours and he says this, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. 
Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This passage affirms that the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife is a part of its purpose. The fulfillment in that covenant relationship that it brings. God's purpose in sex is so that there might be procreation, obviously. But a second purpose is that there can be fulfillment and joy. And this intense, intimate relationship will be shared in a covenant relationship of marriage. And the intimacy that is there is more than just physical. Jesus affirms this same thing about the sanctity of marriage in Matthew 5 that we looked at and also in Matthew 19. And it goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. It goes back to the creation of humanity. It was God's idea. But as our maker, it's also His will how that is to be fulfilled. God's vision at creation, a male and female, created in God's own image, becoming husband and wife, is God's vision for sex and marriage still today. It always has been and it always will be. God's purposes behind the creation of sex, again, include procreation, but also that pleasure and fulfillment that are experienced between a husband and wife when God's plan for sex is honored and obeyed. Though cohabitation, living together and being sexually active with each other before marriage, and what is called casual sex or hooking up, which is having sex without any committed relationship, though those are all accepted in our culture, Scripture calls them sexual immorality and sin. And they damage God's wonderful vision for sex between husband and wife in a committed marriage. Some compare cohabitation and sex before marriage to taking a car you're thinking about buying out for a test drive. However, this is not faithful to God's plan for the intimacy that comes based on the commitment of marriage. As author and researcher Shanti Feldhahn says, the analogy of let's test drive the car seems so logical to many of us, but our logic is flawed because we don't spend that Uh, analogy out long enough. What a cohabiting couple is doing is more like a test drive that spans months or years, not minutes or hours or days. Can you imagine taking a test drive and telling the car salesman, yeah, I'll bring it back in 15 years. And despite the public opinion based on skewed media reporting, The reality is the opposite, according to scientific research. Couples who cohabited before marriage are more likely to divorce, not less. According to the research, cohabitation's effect on marital success has been empirically tested, and the results are clear. Couples who cohabit before marriage are more likely to get divorced, not less. A 2018 article published by the Institute for Family Studies said this premarital cohabitation effect is so well known, it has a long and storied history in family science. Contrary to popular belief, cohabitation is not practice for marriage. Instead, it is practice for lacking commitment, keeping one's options open, and focusing on the short term rather than the long term. 
Who wants that? Such attitudes are antithetical to a successful marriage and may increase the risk of marital failure. You think? (laughs) Even Hollywood sometimes acknowledges this. Not always. Maybe even not often. But sometimes. A couple of movies that both, interestingly enough, came out in 2011. No Strings Attached, starring Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher, and Friends with Benefits, starring Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. They're examples. Both are movies about a couple that get together and decide, let's just have a sexual relationship and no strings attached. Friends with Benefits. But both movies, by the time you get to the end, and I won't give away the ending particularly, but let me just say this. It's not possible to have that. That's what Hollywood says when they're being honest. Another movie Joyce and I saw recently, Lucy in the Sky, follows a female astronaut who has a lot of difficulty uh, coming back to Earth and, and being a part of her family. She has an extramarital affair with another astronaut who later breaks it off. When she reacts, he tells her that it wasn't love she felt. It was just the results of dopamine and other chemicals that were released in sexual intimacy that caused her to feel pleasure. And he's not all wrong. Sex or any form of sexual expression outside marriage falls short of God's perfect plan. It uses one of the most powerful methods of bonding two souls without any exclusive commitment. Sex is like relationship superglue. Physical intimacy releases the hormone oxytocin, which can cause increased levels of trust, fidelity, and emotional bonding. Sex is literally designed to knit two people together on multiple levels, physically, emotionally, and relationally. It's a part of God's brilliant design to bond a man and woman together. But without the commitment of marriage, the power of the glue is more harmful than helpful and causes more pain because you're bonding yourself to someone you're not committed to and who is not committed to you in a one flesh union. When marriage and sex are separated, the plan backfires, resulting in heartache and brokenness. Again, God's vision for marriage and sex was established in the Garden of Eden at creation. That vision was affirmed in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, in the New Testament letters, and yes, by our Lord Jesus Christ Himself as well. God's vision for sexual morality is the same today. So a few quick points before we close. Letter C is this, forgiveness, it's God's plan. Because we're all sinners. We'll say that some more in a minute. But that laundry list of sins, including sexual immorality, in 1 Corinthians 6, that verse 11 that follows says, And such were some of you. And some of you were like that, he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Through the blood and sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul called himself the worst of sinners. Romans 3 affirms all have sinned. There's no one who is righteous, not even one. And that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Not while we were being good and doing good. And that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. All sins, including all sexual sins, can be forgiven by God through the blood of Jesus Christ the Savior. There is no such thing as good sins and bad sins. There is holiness, faithfulness, obedience, and then there is sinfulness. The church is made up of sinners, all saved the same way. Through the grace of God, seen in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. This church is made up of sinners, all saved the same way. By grace through faith. That's God's plan. Letter D is this, faithfulness, God's power. Faithfulness, God's power. I mentioned to our class that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 was one of the earliest verses I ever memorized. Along with John 3, 16 and Philippians 4, 13 and 1 John 1, 7 and 1 John 1, 9. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you don't know that one, if you haven't marked that one, then you need to do that. What does it say, Bill? There is no temptation overtaking you except what is common to all of humanity. But God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted with more than you can bear. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape, a way out. So that you might be able to stand up under it. I notice there's no exception in that passage that says, except for sexual, moral, sexually, sexual immorality, God has no power there. Well, that's just not true. He does. Ephesians 3 says he can do more than we ask or imagine. Uh, David Wicks brought up Philippians 4, that great passage that calls us to prayer and tells us I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're reminded of Genesis 39 and Joseph who had to flee, had to run and leave his clothes behind rather than uh, submit to a sexually immoral situation. God's power can see us through that. God's power gives us the ability, not mine, not yours, but God's, gives us the ability to be faithful, to trust and obey, as we'll sing in a few moments. Lastly today, compassion, God's love. David Wicks, I love the way you worded it in your prayer. God empowers us, and, and it's because He is forgiving and compassionate and faithful. And he calls on us to be the same. Compassion is God's love. And it's not just God's love for us. But it's our love for each other and for others. Who are struggling with sin. Just like we are. May not be the same ones. But it's no different in the eyes of God. When he saw that woman in Samaria. She was a woman who had been married several times. And now was cohabiting with a man. Shacking up. And yet Jesus did not condemn her. He did not judge her. But he called her to a better life based on the relationship that he built with her. Same with the woman brought in the very act of adultery caught there in John 8. He didn't justify what she was doing at all. In fact, he told her to change her life. But he also did not reject her. And he loved her. All sins, including all sexual sins, can be forgiven by God through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. As James Sublet said, as we gathered around the table, let's leave a legacy of love for our children. Let, that see, let them see it in us, for each other, for the world that needs that love so badly. Look around you today. All you see are people who are sinners, 
who have disobeyed God. Yet for those of us who have turned to the Son of God, we have been saved by the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ through our response of faith. And now we show that same love and compassion to others that our Lord Jesus has shown to us. And that's going to be very important as we consider these next two weeks of lessons. Because many of us in this room find that very hard. Living and speaking the truth in love, we share in each other's struggles with sin and encourage each other through the power of God to live in faithful obedience to the one who gave all to save us. If we can help you today, trust and obey. Come as we sing this great hymn. I want to introduce to the congregation this morning someone who's going to be placing membership with us today. His name is Harold Davis. So, Harold, if you'll stand up. Okay. And I want to share just a bit with you about Harold. Um, Harold was born around Waco, I think the Belton area, 1969. Unable to hear and unable to speak. He is deaf and mute. For unknown reasons to me, and I'm sure to him as well, um, his handicap caused his family to, to reject him. All but a grandfather who wanted to see that he had a proper education, and this grandfather had him placed in the deaf school in Austin, Texas where he received a good education. Around his middle school years, uh, it was noted that he was quite athletic in, in all sports, but especially in track. And by the time he was 17, he was gaining 
international recognition uh, as a track star. And he was encouraged uh, to start training for the Special Olympics United States Olympics team. And so he dropped out of high school at the age of 17, and he was sent to Denmark, and he began his training. And he made the team. And in the late 80s, he went to New Zealand and, as an Olympic athlete, represented our country. And he brought home two gold medals and a bronze medal in hurdles. In 2017, well, actually, while at the school, he had met a young lady, and he, he kind of liked her. I don't know how long he's been out of the country because I don't do a really good job of communicating with him other than by text or writing notes. But I do know he, he, he kind of liked this girl, and when he came back to the States, he looked her up, and they fell in love, and they married. And um, in 2017, they were living in Galveston, Texas, and he started attending the Broadway Church of Christ. And I have visited that congregation while in Galveston. It's a pretty biracial congregation. They have a black minister and a white minister. Well, the black minister, Brother Larry Smith, studied with Harold. And I found out just this last Friday that in 2017, Harold was baptized into Christ. And so he is a member of the body of Christ. And he wants to place his membership with us today. And I'm grateful for that. I met Harold back in late October. In September, he lost his wife this past September uh, with cancer. He came to our benevolence center. He was desperate. He was lost. Um, They both had received SSI disability checks, and that was their means of living. And her passing cut their... uh, uh, money in half and and he has been evicted from his home and since that time he's been living in his car and I'll tell you something about Harold he's one of the most compassionate kind caring men I have ever met carries a smile on his face never complains he'll text me he'll say my mind is positive Uh, he tells me that almost daily my mind is positive we're making steps forward and making good progress in finding him a job. We have had one interview. We have another interview coming up, and they look promising. So that's a good thing. He has an automobile. We got insurance on the automobile, which he was able to pay for himself. He asked for nothing. He has worked at the Benevolent Center. So those of us who have worked at the Benevolent Center have come to love and appreciate him more than you can possibly know. Kind-hearted, great man and so he wants to be a part of our fellowship i want you to welcome him he is gracious uh, just extremely kind so uh, i just wanted him to be introduced today he has been coming uh, every sunday for a good while now and he just wants to work with us he wants to be a part of us and uh, make him feel very welcome here. He has told me, or written to me, he feels very welcome here. He says he has not always felt that way in churches he has attended, 
uh, but he feels very loved and welcomed here. So I'm going to turn it back over to Gary, and uh, he'll lead us in a closing song. We'll have a closing prayer. Thank you for being here this morning. Drew Nunn, if you will come at this time, and we'll have our closing prayer, and then we'll be dismissed with the first verse of Greatest Thy Faithfulness. Let's all stand, please. Please. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for everything that you've given to us. Um, Father, I pray that you would um, help us to put this lesson that Mr. Bill brought us um, this morning into action and not to just stash it away in some corner of our mind, Father, that we would actually um, practice your will and uh, to become better Christians and follow you the best we can. Father, I pray that as we go out into our daily lives that we would continue to live a life that would be meaningful and fulfilling to you. Father, I thank you for everything that you've given us. And it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord.